<clears throat> Hare Krishna and welcome to the ninth part of this uh, GBC history, a program by the GBC strategic planning team. The long title is All You Always Wanted to Know About the GBC, but we're hesitant to ask. And today, It's part nine, the reform movement and the 50-man committee. And we have two very special guests. We have His um, Holiness, Ridayananda Dasko Swami Maharaj, and His Grace uh, Brahma Tirtha Prabhu. Now, uh, just to give, uh, to give a little background, this is the ninth part. We started from the beginning, Shri Prabhupada forming the GBC in 1977 years plus. Shri Prabhupada was with the GBC, personally guiding, often participating personally in the, in the meetings, or at least getting the reports uh, on the resolutions from the meetings. Then when he left... Uh, of course, he left a great, uh, great void. The movement was very young. The leaders were very young. And uh, starting in 1978, there was this phase colloquially known as the Zonal Acharya years. Hmm? <coughs> we already had a few uh, parts, a few episodes on that. We had Ridananda uh, Maharaj, with us, we had Balavanta Prabhu was a GBC, at one point also the chair of the GBC in those years. We interviewed uh, Gopal Bhatta Prabhu, Pancharatna Prabhu, who were two uh, Prabhupada disciples who personally experienced that period, and so on. So now we go back to Ridananda Maharaj, analyzing those years. Anantashesh Prabhu, we have Maharaj and Prabhu. Not yet. Uh, we connected before. And uh, here it comes. Jai Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Welcome, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. So I, I just said that you were already our guest uh, um, and you explain the insider view uh, as a GBC, as a guru in those years, as an international leader of uh, preaching, especially in, uh, in Latin America, but also in, in North America. So today we'll, um, we'll continue the discussion on, the, on those years, the early, the late 70s and the early 80s. Do we have Brahmatirtha Prabhu with us? Yes. <laughs> Well, Brahmatirtha Prabhu is also well known. Um, see, Maraj and, and Prabhu, they are in the same room in Gainesville, Florida. 
And uh, so let's see if uh, technically oh, comes everything smooth. Brahma is especially famous in Iskon because he's the interlocutor of Srila Prabhupada in the book, Perfect Questions, Perfect Answers. He was in Mayapur, he asked a number of questions and uh, that became a book that uh, most devotees read and know very well and distributed. He is also playing a major role in the Bhaktivedanta Institute, and he's a very experienced, expert, uh, reliable mediator, conflict resolution expert. And he's also a member of the Sabha, the Spiritual Advisors Bhagavata Assembly, which is the, uh, the group uh, of senior, the mostly senior, very senior devotees, who even has the power to remand a resolution by the GBC. So welcome, Brahma Tirtha Prabhu. You're welcome. So, it is not working. Yeah, I love echo for some reason. It's just not working. Now, as we, uh, so uh, as we said in previous parts, those years were quite tumultuous. On one side, they were very successful. The outreach exponentially. Many more, many new devotees were made. Many temples were opened. Many devotees were initiated. So there was a lot of expansion. Iskon on one side was flourishing. At the same time, in a few years, some of these uh, acharyas, gurus, started having personal problems. Hmm? Some of them were GBC, some of them were not. Uh, so uh, Iskon faced a crisis. Anantadev Prabhu, you want to put the slides on? So in 1985, um, I called it cleanup. It started being a period of uh, catharsis for ISKCON and the GBC. Next. These are ex excerpts from resolutions of that year. Brahmananda and Harisori suspended. Adikeshava removed. These were all GBC members. Next. Uh, no books published by Hamsaduta or any of his followers should be purchased by ISKCON temples or devotees. So the GBC started putting boundaries on what was authorized and not. Although Amsaduta uh, Maharaj at the time was one of the first 11 gurus of, of Iskand. Next. Uh, the GBC affirms its authority and rejects subservience to the zonal acharya dynamics. Next. The GBC zonal secretaries, whether initiating or not, is the ultimate managerial authority within its zone as the official representative of the GBC body. Next. Nonetheless, the GBC reconfirms the zonal nature of initiations. Next. When the GBC body gives their blessing to a candidate to initiate, it is for a particular Guru Datta Desha. Those who are not 
familiar with Sanskrit, Guru Datta Desha is the place given by the Guru. In other words, is the place of service. So initiations, the service of a Guru was also geographical. The GBC was saying, now you can initiate, but you can initiate only in this territory. Okay, Ananta Shesh Prabhu. Let's go back to our guests. So, um, Maharaj and Prabhu, what was going on? These resolutions are for from 85. So there was a, a cleansing going on, a reorientation, a realignment. Please tell us. May I suggest that if uh, if it's uh, if we have this problem of the echo for being connected in the same room, maybe uh, maybe a possible solution is that uh, you you sit at the same table and just uh, use the same uh, machine. Uh, I'm in a different room now. Okay. Okay. Good. But there's still. So there. what is going on? So in is gone, and so on. Mm -hmm. I still have to knock on the safe room. It's not working. Set your computer down, please. Ramakirta Prabhu. Set your computer down. It's causing constant noise. Okay. Ramakirta Prabhu, where were you based in 85? I did. I did. You can't. As you can see, dear uh, viewers, we have a little bit uh, of a shaky technical situation, but uh, hopefully we'll solve it soon. Welcome back, okay, so I, yeah, uh, we've Yeah, we've been on about 13 minutes now. It'd be nice to start the interview. Yes. I actually already started, but you were not in the room. So the question was, what was going on on the GBC in ISKCON with the gurus? Please tell right. us. Well, we've talked about this in the other interview. Uh, you know, the German philosopher of history, Hegel, said that people make a big mistake in that they uh, don't consider historical context. I, I discussed all that in the previous interview. Uh, it's easy for people who look back at it now or even, you know, even years ago to say, well, obviously this should have been done and obviously that should have been done. But that's, a, you know, I've, I've, I've already spoken on that. Um, I, I thought I would speak on the 50-man committee. Yes, we will get there um, soon. As far as what was going on, as far as what was going on, as, as I said in the last interview, um, Prabhupada left this world in 1977. I was 29 years old. I had been in the movement eight years. I did not volunteer to become a guru. I had no, I can honestly say that in my entire life, I'd never thought of becoming a guru. The thought had never crossed my mind to become a guru. I received a letter in the mail saying that Prabhupada named you and you're going to be a guru. That was ratified. Because Prabhupada, what we do know in his, his will 
last will, the first point was the GBC will be the ultimate managing authority for the entire ISCON. So <clears throat> I went to Mayapur because it was my duty in 1978, just as I've been going every year. The GBC met and voted that I was now to begin acting as a guru. I tried in many ways to avoid that service. This is all documented. I spoke to God Brothers. I uh, did everything in my power. Uh, I thought I, I didn't want to become a big guru. It was a time in my life when I uh, wanted to do something else, other kinds of service. But my God Brothers, rather than me forcing myself upon them, in temple after temple, they literally almost physically put me on these big seats. I never gave instructions on how big the seat should be. I never requested a big seat. I never requested puja. Uh, it actually, in my own zone, I'm not speaking for every guru in ISKCON, but in my own zone, and Krishna knows this is true, it was my god brothers who were temple presidents, not myself, who basically established a particular system. Now, as, as far as how we were supposed to go about this, Prabhupada left no detailed instructions. There are no detailed instructions in Shastra. So checking with Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra, it there were simply no detailed instructions. Do you put a Vyasasana in the temple? Do you put it outside the temple? Is it this high? Is it that high? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. No, this, these are details for which we I had no instructions, and therefore I actually went along with the preferences of my godbrothers who were temple presidents. Uh, it would be silly to say that when you're 29 years old and you're suddenly thrown into a position like that that you didn't want and didn't volunteer for and everyone's worshiping and, you know, and bowing down and treating you like a big guru, to say that that absolutely has no effect on the mind of a 29-year-old devotee who's been in the movement for eight years would be absurd. I mean, of course it affects the mind. Uh, did I think that my God brothers and God sisters were my disciples? No, I didn't. Uh, did I simply bully them? No, I don't think I did. Uh, I was in charge of a particular zone. I continued my duties. It was so stressful and miserable and uh, almost impossible to, because there were so many attacks on ISKCON that, as I've said many times, after a few years, I actually ended up in an ambulance uh, going to the University of Florida Hospital with a serious heart condition that was traced to extreme stress. So was it a happy time just lording it over everyone and living the good life? No, it wasn't. Uh, I, I, uh, I did my duty the best I could. And uh, I'm still here. So I think Krishna knows what my motives were. And people who weren't there at the time, who didn't have to defend this from any attacks, who didn't have to struggle through this confusion of not knowing what to do, uh, you know, they can think themselves very wise and tell us what I should have done. Uh, but back then it was very difficult to be wise when you have no experience and no information and you're just trying to keep this kind of going. And in, in my case, in Latin America, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, not thousands of very needy devotees who are almost demanding that I play a certain role. In any case, um, this all led to, you know, reform movement because I can, as I know very well, there were some gurus who actually did really, I think, treat very uh, badly. Some of their god brothers and god sisters, I won't mention names here. And uh, big gurus fell down and, and it all led to a reform movement. 
the first stage of which was led by Ravindra Saroop, who I will say acted as a gentleman. I didn't agree with him on all his points, but he reasoned. He was, you know, he's, he's an intellectual. He made arguments, and I mean that in a positive sense. He just didn't just declare things to be true, but he stated things that, and, and many of the things he said were true and were intelligent. He and I might have come to a slightly different conclusion, but still, I appreciated his intelligence and his that he was reasoning, and he was a gentleman. And so that went on for a while. Then uh, the reform movement was taken over by a different set of people who were not so gentlemanly and were just explicitly political and almost all of whom had very unfortunate fall down. So, you know, Krishna's in the heart. Uh, and uh, I mean, it was like, it became like a political battle. For example, the reform movement was going to Mayapur. I forget what year that was. Maybe it was 86. I can't remember exactly, 80, 85 or 86. Maybe it was 85. And they, they were bringing the temple presidents to like to vote out the GBC, to vote out the sort of take over ISKCON. And uh, what happened is Bhagavan, who was one of the most, I don't know, imperial gurus, he had... Um, he had lots and lots of temples. He just brought all his temple presidents to Mayapur and outvoted the reformers, which, and so it, it was all, it was kind of like an ugly political atmosphere. And then finally uh, the system was changed. Then there was, a, there was a, a 50 man committee. And I Marash, wanted, uh, uh, just, uh, uh, I'll show two, three more slides. We get to the 50 man committee and then that's the topic for the rest. Would you, would you okay. be okay with that? Yeah, sure. Just to show some resolutions building oh. up to the 50 main yeah, committee. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, uh, we, we, we saw this next. Now, there was this, uh, this uh, refocusing on Srila Prabhupada. This again are our, our, our uh, GBC's resolutions. Next, in 1986. Uh, in every ISKCON temple, Srila Prabhupada, as the founder of Charya of ISKCON, will have a Vyasasan, which is substantially more prominent than any other Vyasasan. Next. Next year, that there should be no personal seat for gurus in the temple room other than Prabhupada Vyasasana. So 86 smaller Vyasas for Gurus, 87 no Vyasas for Gurus. As Maharaj was explaining, these are details. There was not clear instructions. They saw what worked. Next. Now, 85, 87, there was a new wave of uh, Gurus. Maharaj in the last interview told us how he was a promoter of liberalizing the, the service of initiating spiritual master. What's interesting is the decreasing level of GBC ownership. We'll see the, the text, 1985. These are texts from the, the quoted parties from the GBC resolution. Four more are empowered to begin the giving Diksha initiations. 86, 20 more are given blessings and an authorization to take up initiating guru responsibilities. Next, 1987, 
13 more are authorized by the GBC body to initiate these cycles. Of course, language is a, is a functional culture from empowered to blessed and authorized to kind of simply authorized. Next. Now, more cleansing because more problems were there. Rameshwar, Bhavananda, and Brahmananda removed as GBC members. Next. Bhagavans, Harisoris, and Jagajivan's resignation accepted. Next, Panchadravida expelled from ISKCON. Next, Kirtanananda expelled from ISKCON. And we come to the 50 men. Yeah, next. We come to the 50 men committee. This is the excerpts from the text of the GBC resolution. Resolved that the GBC authorized a committee to express a simple majority vote of confidence or no confidence in the 17 existing GBC members to propose 10 additional candidates for GBC positions, to propose specific checks and balances to ensure the integrity and purity of the GBC membership, make recommendations as to steps for rectification and improvements for each of the GBC members on a case-by-case -case basis. Marash, take it away. Thank you. Basically, well, the 50-man committee uh, uh, studied all the gurus in ISKCON. And they were going to vote that this person should continue as a guru or should not continue based on the level of their sins or offenses or bad judgment or whatever. So um, I, I think they were trying their best, but uh, let me just tell you my own story. Uh, first of all, two senior devotees, not GBCs, came into my room in Mayapur to interview me and to tell me about accusations against me. The main accusations came from one devotee who was a flame, turned out to be a flaming Sahajya who was seducing women all over the place, including, you know, a, a, a very flaming affair with a female disciple of mine. He left ISKCON, became an enemy of ISKCON and attacked ISKCON. And uh, he was the main source for the 50-man committee about me. So he um, basically told a lot of lies. I mean, I mean, and I was like sort of considered to be guilty of things like just sort of having not having the right attitude. I mean, how do you defend yourself against someone? It's like you've broken the law because you don't have the right attitude. To make a long story short, uh, there was no fact-checking. The 50-man committee did no fact-checking. They always believed the accuser, even though there was no actual evidence, and even though that evidence was not so-called, uh, you know, evidence not corroborated by other people. They basically disbelieved what I said, ignored what I said, and, uh, and concluded. There was another uh, devotee who recently has been in the news because of turning out to be a Sahaja and having seduced a large number of his own female disciples, a person from Latin America who left ISKCON long ago and uh, 
he, Brahmacharya knows this, he um, was spreading rumors that I lived in a palace. I had stolen money from the deities and built a palace for myself uh, at New Ramanreti. The actual, which of course, you know, was taken seriously. The actual fact is Brahmatirtha, who was a Grihasta, very kindly gave a donation when my health was very bad and bought for me a manufactured house, which in America is considered lower middle class or maybe upper lower class or something. It's a manufactured home. And I lived in a, you know, sort of a fancy trailer. So I lived in that and that was the palace that, you know, by with my, so these are the kinds of things. So, so the, um, basically the fifth of man committee, there were, there were three different responses from the gurus. One response was, and there were quite a number of gurus and I know their names, but I won't mention them who basically, and frankly, very, uh, insincerely just told the, the, the group, whatever they wanted to hear. So they passed with flying colors. Then you made a show of humility and just told them whatever they wanted to hear. And then there were, I don't even know if there's anyone else like, yes. Can't hear you. So I, I just to clarify, the gurus means that the guru candidates, are you talking about? No, no, those who were already gurus. Or oh, those who were already gurus, they were also under scrutiny. No, they were the ones under scrutiny, not the candidates. Okay. The man committee, as I said, was investigating gurus to decide whether they should be allowed to continue as gurus. And so okay. I, you know, I, I I saw, I know very well what happened. And and there were all these gurus just told the committee anything that just whatever they wanted to hear. I told them the truth. I said there were some things that were wrong. There were some things that were good. I told them the truth. I mean, in my zone was flourishing. It was booming. My God brothers and God sisters were not leaving the movement. They were, you know, and and basically Brazil probably tripled in size, devotees, books, farms, schools, everything. And so I thought, and and uh, so because I was honest and told them that, yeah, some things were wrong and definitely have to be changed. And some things were, are working well. So therefore they rejected me based on absurd fabricated information, no fact checking, disbelieving my version, believing the version of Sahajas. And so they decided that, you know, I was not, uh, I wouldn't pass. Then what happened is that Hari Kesh, uh, Swami then, who had a big zone in North Europe and a lot of money and a lot of power in ISKCON, he went in and basically threatened the committee and told them, like, don't mess with me. And the committee realized that this is dangerous, so they, they, they sort of backed off and decided not to reject anyone. So threatening them worked and kind of lying to them worked. Telling the truth in a balanced way didn't work. And so at, at that time, uh, there were some uh, leading sannyasis, Niskanhu and Padayatra. Somehow they came to the conclusion that the medicine for all of us was to go on Padayatra. So we got all these... Here's how you can rectify yourself, you know, rectify myself from all these sins that, you know, were given to them by these very reputable people. So, and by the way, they didn't interview people who actually appreciate what I was doing. They didn't get interviewed. They only interviewed critics and they didn't do any fact checking and assumed that all criticisms were true and all, you know, denials were false. So, so it was very biased and, and procedurally flawed. It was it was pious and stupid. Okay. So then, 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we can just, you know, be honest with each other. So, so the solution, you can say procedurally flawed, like in the sense of egregious injustice. So then the, um, the solution for everyone was gone Pariatra. Because I was, they concluded I was too attached to opulence, living in my trailer, on a farm, uh, you know, eating simple prashadam, and just trying to serve Prabhupada. Clearly, I was addicted to material opulence. Therefore, I should go on Padayatra. So I thought, okay, you know, I'll do it just for the sake of ISKCON. So I, I was sent to Meerut, which is northeast uh, of uh, Delhi and actually very close to the original site of Hastinapur, according to scholars. So I went to Meerut. Devotees received me very nicely there, very, very nicely. In fact, it, it's, it's kind of odd because they didn't receive me as like some kind of fallen sannyasi. Or they actually received me with far more opulence and, and worship <laughs> than I ever got in my own zone. So was a, and then the devotees put me so that I could learn to be more detached from material opulence. Maybe I, they wanted me to live in a tent and you know or something. But so to be detached from material opulence, uh, I went on Padayatra, and, and the devotees there put me in a marble palace, which was a hundred times more opulent than the place where I actually lived. So, because that was, you know, rich life member. So I suddenly I find myself in a marble palace trying to learn, you know, detachment. And then I get up in the morning, you know, early in the morning to chat my rounds. And the lady of the house, this attractive lady, was not that old, almost my age, was sort of strolling around the marble veranda in a bathrobe, uh, you know, combing and brushing her hair, you know, greeted me. And at that point, I thought, this is a little too austere for me. So I, I, just, I just went back to, to the U.S. So, so I'm not saying the 50-man committee was as inept in everything they did. I understand why the need was felt for something like that. But um, that was my experience with the... And then, of course, my experience with the BBT. This was the... I'm not saying reform wasn't needed, but... If the people who were who were gurus in the beginning were immature and not yet really qualified, which is true, because we were young, and suddenly, I mean, myself was just kind of pushed upon me by my godbrothers, actually, and the GBC. But the people doing the reform, it would be absurd to think, oh, they were mature. Like the gurus weren't mature. The gurus were still young devotees, but the reformers were mature experienced devotees, which which is ludicrous. And so not only was, let's say, the guru system in many places done in a foolish way, which is the truth in many places, the reform had its own foolishness. The reform had its own, because everyone was young and everyone was inexperienced. And so now, I mean, I mean and so because, you know, they say the victors write the history. So uh, when ISKCON changed so drastically, and by the way, uh, in New Vrindavan, when the, when the system was officially, officially changed in 1985, I was the main person on the GBC who pushed it through, so the GBC voted for it. But of course, no one remembers or cares about that. And so um, the reform was needed. And like I said, Rabindra Sarup was a gentleman. 
But by the time it actually came to changing things, uh, you know, there were other people involved and it was not done maturely. It was not done, uh, not done maturely. Let's just leave it at that. And, and ISKCON was also seriously damaged. You can say that the guru system damaged ISKCON. You can say that the reform was just a product of the guru system. It's really all the guru's fault, but whatever. You can say one group of people are uh, responsible for acting immaturely when in fact they were young, but another group is not responsible for acting immaturely when they were young. So I look at it as just a very difficult period, a very difficult period in ISKCON history. And uh, I did write a letter. I know uh, Brahmacharya has it right there. It, the date is, it's a 19, let me see what the date is. I'll just hold it up. I, and I, and by the way, is Ramatirta Prabhu available? Yeah. I mean, uh, we announced him. Uh, yeah, yeah. He can pull it here. I, I would just like to explain this letter and then I can turn sure. it over. Turn it over. This is dated July 4th, Independence Day, 1984. This was, uh, so this is before the reform was done. The reform was, I mean, I mean, there was a reform movement. That this is before ISCOM was actually changed, before the laws were changed, all those things you read. This is before all those laws you read. And uh, urging the GBC to open up the guru system, to let Prabhupada's disciples who were in good standing, you know, all be gurus. And this letter is dated July 4th, 1984. So uh, that's basically it. Did the best I could. I was young uh, and I didn't volunteer. My godbrothers actually forced me to sit on the big seat. I mean, literally, physically put me on the seat. And uh, the GBC voted. I did the best I could. Did I make mistakes? Of course. I was a young man with no experience. And uh, am I... And, and Krishna, I, I believe that Krishna very mercifully protected me because Krishna knew what was in my heart. And here I am. I have a very happy life. I have wonderful devotional service. I have many, many, many wonderful, loving associates and friends and disciples around the world. And I'm very happy under the protection of Krishna. So perhaps Thank I'll turn you. it over to Ramachir, though. Yeah. I don't know if you want to sit side by side. Or oh, no, he can talk. Give him. Oh, well, shift okay. here a little bit. I'm sorry. Oh. We, we had a computer feedback issue, so I had to shut down. We noticed. We noticed. Uh, so, um, Prabhu, tell us, where were you at these years, beginning of 80s, uh, up to the 87, 50-man committee? I was um, in three different places. I was in um, Gainesville area. I was in Miami, and um, I ran a center in Ohio. So um, uh, I was working closely with the Redynamaraj then and watched it happen. I'll tell you a story that will put this in a context that is not well known. And I've studied this. I ought to write something on it. But for now, let me just share with you. In 1978, um, Actually, it was December 77. Prabhupada had just left. And a Sankirtan party came to Houston, where I was vice president, life membership director. And one leading devotee, still around, uh, uh, was a Sankirtan devotee then. And on his dashboard, there was a picture of 11 
um, gurus, the, the, the uh, first 11. And I asked him, I said, what's going on here? And he said, something that really struck me, and those who have studied Kugler Ross's um, The Stages of Dying will understand what I'm talking about. He said, Prabhupada has not left us. He's still here. He expanded into 11. And I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. Upon contemplating that, understood what happened. One, there's stages of grieving. They're universal in every society. And one of the stages is denial. And one of the major leaders in ISKCON, when asked, what do we do now that Prabhupada left? He said the wrong statement for the time with very good intention. He said, now it is business more than usual. Meanwhile, Prabhupada in the fifth canto says, when the Acharya dies, you beat your head against the wall. We didn't know how to grieve. Most of us, I had lost one grandmother in my whole life. That's all I, I had experienced. Most of us, parents were alive. We didn't know how to grieve. Every society, every religion has grieving rituals because we need it badly. Uh, Kuber Ross has emphasized what happens if we don't follow it. We didn't follow the normal grieving process because as uh, when Tamal Krishna Maharaj passed on, uh, uh, Krishna Shetra Maharaj wrote a brilliant uh, eulogy that uh, was published. And he said, we were in a movement with no elders. Finally, somebody became an elder and he passed on. So we were like, sometimes I give the example, a little bit of a crude example, but we are somewhat like William Golding's Lord of the Flies. There were no elders around and sometimes things got chaotic for those who are familiar with that book. And so in that situation, um, we didn't grieve properly. And this devotee I mentioned, I'll leave the name out. I don't think he'd mind me saying, but I don't have permission. Uh, he felt that Prabhupada was still here in 11. By 1985, he was one of the leaders of guru reform. So some of the very same people who were building the Vyasasans, insisting that some gurus who didn't want to sit on Vyasasans sit on it, later on became the biggest guru reformers. I attribute a lot of this to the fact that we didn't know how to grieve when Prabhupada left. We should have waited a year, in my opinion, and based on the science of grieving, before we started initiating. But Kirtananda decided in December of 1977 to start initiating. And uh, then some there wasn't time to think about it, to contemplate it, and to go through the grieving process of losing our acharya. So therefore, uh, I understand why the committee of 50 was formed. There were abuses going on. Uh, in Europe, there was some really nasty abuses. You're, you were either with, you were either uh, with the zonal acharya or you weren't. Uh, and we didn't have the maturity to go distinguish between those who were trying to sincerely follow and just trying to figure out what to do and those who were doing a power grab. I might add, all of those who did a power grab, Krishna rectified it and they left one way or another. And usually they left because um, power creates lust and lust creates 
inauspicious activities. That's usually what happened. So uh, in some cases, um, some of the uh, 11 just tried to figure out the best they could do and did the best they can do under the circumstances. Then we had the problem of lumping everybody in. And that lumping in is very, very dangerous because there's no nuance, there's no thinking about it. You're either with us or against us. It's like the polarized politics we have to, uh, today. Uh, to give an example, there are now in uh, a very uh, red state in America uh, where the COVID virus is just going ballistic. The governor, intelligent governor, uh, set up a program so people could anonymously and behind curtains get their COVID shots because if their neighbors find out they're getting a COVID shot, they'll be shunned. It's become that ridiculously polarized. What disturbs me is when that happens in ISKCON, when, we, when you're either a friend or an enemy. That's called, according to the Bhagavad Gita, the mode of passion. So in the 80s, at the time of 50-man committee, it was a, a chaotic time. Uh, most of us were in, in, in the average age of the movement was in the 20s. The leaders might have been mid-30s at the most. And so we had a chaotic time. Um, what's needed, in my opinion, is uh, to listen. I think what you're doing, Kuntea, is very important. And many things you do, Kuntea, I might add, are extremely important. And I, I really appreciate the intellect and the fairness you bring to dialogues. It's, it's one of the most important things we can do, talk to each other. And uh, I think what Aridai Nanamraj is saying now, that there's another side that isn't well known. We kind of write it off. Oh, these gurus were power hungry. A few were. Some were very sincere. Some never wanted the job at all and just didn't know what to do with it. At the same time, we're going through this. We lost Prabhupada. We had given up, many of us, our parents. I mean, I kept a decent relation with my parents, but I saw Prabhupada as my real father. And when we've given up all our relationships and all of a sudden we did it, we just drop everything and then Prabhupada passes on. Yes, some of us uh, didn't know how to grieve. And as a movement, uh, we didn't do the right things to encourage it. And naturally, we're going to get some chaos. Putting everything in that context makes us much more liberal-minded, appreciative of those who formed the committee because they were frustrated, of those who were victims of the committee because the committee didn't know how to do things right, those who were innocent devotees just trying to uh, uh, do their service. To some degree, from the 80s, that chaos resulted, as some have called it, a lost generation of devotees. There was you know, so many. When Prabhupada left, the movement was still expanding exponentially, and it continued that way for some time. We just never caught our breath to catch up with what was going on. So I probably gave too long a soliloquy, but I wanted to just respond. I do want to quote from something that I think is very important from the paper that Maharaj um, wrote in 1984. Now, I went on a walk with him in 1980 in Atlanta. I remember it very well. Um, and we went on a walk together, and I said, he was saying we need to expand the number of gurus. We need to, to quote uh, from his letter, 
In my humble opinion, it's become our immediate duty to expand the range of spiritual opportunities available to mature God brothers. In accordance with Srila Prabhupada's intent, uh, in accordance with Srila Prabhupada's intent, um, state intention, uh, I very much fear the consequences if we fail to do so now. It was 1984. In 1980, we went on a walk. And those of you who know Rita Nanraj will see the humor of this one. So uh, I, he was telling me how we need to expand. We need to let senior qualified disciples of Prabhupada initiate. And I was still in that mood that, well, Prabhupada expanded into 11. It hadn't reached 10 yet. And Prabhupada had expanded into 11. And, and I was kind of got into that mood that, well, Prabhupada's still here. It was my way of dealing with grief. So I was arguing with him. And he turned to me, don't you have a brain? Don't you get it? I mean, those Maharaj could imagine he might say such a thing. So I remember that conversation very well. We were on a walk on, on Ponce de Leon Boulevard in Atlanta. I could be quite specific about it. Turns out, and when he wrote the paper later, and I kept the paper all these years, because I thought historically it's a very important paper. And he laid out in detailed philosophical points all the arguments against expanding and the arguments for expanding and analyzed it. And I, I wish we had done it in a more orderly way, but, you know, we were young and uh, immature, and that's what we did. Um, uh, I, I don't like it that, uh, you know, to me, even the people who were gurus who got a little power hungry about it, and those who are around all know who I'm talking about, names left out for obvious reasons. Even those who were power hungry, they did a lot of sincere service. They expanded the movement, but they had their own anartas and it came to the surface. But they also did many good things. And that's the point I'm, I'm trying to make. I don't like the one-sided view of what happened in the 80s. I was there. It wasn't uh, It wasn't a Mahabharata war of the Devas against the Asuras. It just wasn't that. And some of the retelling of history makes it that, and that is highly unfortunate. Now I've gone on way too long. Okay, but thanks for asking. This is all, this is all precious and very valuable. Uh, one question came to my mind. You are a certified professional, qualified, and experienced mediator. Yeah. How did you see the the... the the culture of mediation of alternative conflict resolution in ISKCON from the 80s to now more than 40 years later. How did you experience this? Well, and, I, and how, much more, how much more growth we need to establish this? In 2002, I attended the first mediation course offered by Praja Bihari and Krishna Leela and others. I attended that course in New York, in Tawako. I almost went on a lark. My temple president said, you have this nature, why don't you go? So I went there. And after about the first minute of the course, for the rest of the five days, I sat on the edge of my chair. I mean, I was brought up Jewish. I was a chosen people. and. Chosen for what? Me? I thought it was ridiculous. Then I joined the movement, and it was the karmis and the devotees. 
I didn't like that either. And the whole Samadarshana, I was losing Samadarshana. That course, I said, is my ticket to Samadarshana where I can see both sides of things, where I can see things more equiposed. So on a personal level, it's very important to me. What Braja Bihari did was monumental. You know, he brought Arnold Zach, this old Harvard mediator, world famous to Mayapur two or three times to convince the GBC that there's a better way to resolve disputes than top down. Sometimes top downs needed. We all understand that. Um, at the same time, Prabhupada wanted us to have istagosis to talk to each other. Rupa Goswami said, we reveal our mind in confidence. Try revealing your mind in confidence while Facebook exists. It became almost impossible. And, and as Facebook developed um, by uh, 2010, uh, ISKCON Resolve was fully functional and we're trying to train up a cadre of mediators that's still going on to resolve disputes. At the same time, that darn like button goes on Facebook and social media it, it explodes and we end up with this identity politics controlled by a like button. So that's a whole other issue. So we can, as a movement, rise above it. We have the right philosophy. We have the right psychology in the Gita, the right psychology in the Upadeshamrita to rise above it. Um, and, and, and we have that uh, river of Kali Yuga flowing and the eddy current can be Lord Chaitanya's movement, but only if we're willing to start giving the benefit of the doubt to each other and say, well, look, I want to hear your point of view. I want to try to understand it. And uh, social media has made that very, very difficult nowadays. And I deal in conflict resolution with some of the worst conflicts we have in ISKCON, and it's repeatedly the same pattern. Would you like to take one question from our audience? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Let Maharaj actually I wanted to make oh, one please. Oh, please. <laughs> uh, Ramachandra, I, I mean, I appreciate very much what he said and uh, what he said about grieving and the result of not grieving. I thought was a very wise, insightful observation. One thing he said I wanted to respond to, and that is he said that we should have waited a year before initiating. And that struck me because that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I actually called up the leaders of my zone and said, I would like to wait. First of all, I didn't feel qualified because Prabhupada, you know, it was a very high bar to be a bona fide guru after Prabhupada. And so I actually called up the leaders of my zone and said to them, I would like to wait at least a year. And I, I actually had a plan. Maybe I'll chant, you know, I don't know, 50 rounds a day, do something desperate, just, you know, some desperate measure to try to make spiritual advancement. And it was my God brothers leaders you know the zone which at that time was latin america who absolutely demanded that i start initiating immediately for the simple reason that iscom was being attacked the um the the leaders in venezuela uh went to the godia moth and stole a whole country and they were trying to it was like there was this whole godia moth liberation movement in latin america and every latin american leader told me the whole thing the same thing same thing. If you don't start initiating immediately, we're going to lose our movement here. That the you know they're going to steal all our devotees, and they insisted. So whether it was sitting on the seat, 
or you know all that stuff or accepting worship or starting to initiate immediately i mean Brahmacharya is exactly right you know in an ideal world we should have waited i wanted to wait i asked them to let me wait my god brothers insisted that i start initiating immediately so i, I really appreciate also what Brahmacharya said he's you know world-class mediator it's, it's not just black and white so I have to say that I, I think, I mean, just a little confession here, that um, I think one of the reasons I, um, I guess I've chosen the lifestyle I have for many, many, many years, get away from everybody, stay away, you know, sometimes surface, give classes, but basically just stay away from mainstream ISKCON is because it, it just has been too difficult for me to be active in the mainstream of a movement which has a, his, a, a historical memory that I was sort of, I was like a really bad person and I did these horrible things and uh, it just became too toxic for me. And it's kind of baked in the cake. It's, it's kind of like the unofficial but consensus view of what happened. And I've had GBC God Brothers, some of them are, you know, you love them as much as I do to be facetious, and um, who have, uh, you know, ridiculed me at GBC meetings for being, oh, you were a zonal acharya as if like, and, and, and there was a sense, actually, it's another thing that, that among a number of GBC men of their moral superiority, that somehow they were untainted, unlike me, they were untainted. They were not guilty of these sins. They, they were stood in a morally superior place. And, uh, for me, that was, that was, you know, just not healthy for me. And so I dealt with it the best I could. But, um, and, and, and even, I mean, even the last show we did, I mean, I know that by me doing these shows, there are a bunch of, you know, people who are gonna write in and, you know, and, 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 and try to reveal to the world what a terrible person I am. But I think it's really important what you're doing. Oral history is extremely important. And, you know, historians in future centuries will be very grateful to you. And um, so I, I, I'm, I thank you very sincerely. I thank Ramachirtha for his remarks. And I thank you for giving me the chance to explain what I know is actually what actually happened. Can I ask a question? Because Maraj mentioned the future and uh, we have Marlon Rodriguez. Uh, what can ISKCON do now to keep corruption away? What failed system do we have now or can implement now to not repeat the same mistakes? Uh, when you say repeat the same mistakes, uh, I hope this person means all the mistakes. For one thing, I mean, by because Prabhupada did very wisely give us a collegial system, whether it's GBC or multiple gurus, uh, hopefully, we're not going to go through the same type of categorical loss that Brahmacharya described very well, where everyone's faith and everyone's, you know, everyone's young. I don't think there'll be a time in the future when everyone is very young. I don't think there'll be a time in the future where everything depends on one person. And so, um, so I don't see, as a historian, I don't see a that it's likely that exactly that scenario will be repeated. Uh, I, by the way, uh, uh, this this uh, Prabhu is uh, trying to clarify online. Yes. Um, 
that what he meant is he says child abuse uh, women's sex abuse uh, money stealing even puts their fake gurus um that, that that's what he meant by by the mistakes yeah um okay first of all one big mistake which we have to avoid is thinking that somehow devotees are uniquely bad i mean you know when we were young we all thought devotees are uniquely good and as we know you know sometimes they're good and some devotees are not so good so it's kind of you go to the other extreme and uh, all all these problems of sex abuse of um child abuse of 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 stealing and so on these things are go on in every human institution to different degrees so devotees did these things some people not because they're devotees but because they're human beings and they're not so krishna conscious not because they are so i think the only um and it happens historically study history it happens in every religion in history so i think that the only as Prabhupada always taught, the only real security is purity. If we have leaders, we're not simply people who are good managers, but not necessarily Krishna conscious. It's, um, I mean, Krishna consciousness, Prabhupada said, the only really guaranteed way to avoid all these vices is by genuine Krishna consciousness. And genuine Krishna consciousness doesn't mean simply doing rituals. Bhagavatam says that uh, one who's, if the center of one's spiritual life or just one's, one's religious life is all about just doing puja, that's the material platform. Whereas the spiritual platform involves compassion and trying to help others. I'm going to speak on another program this evening, but um, there's also a, 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 a scientific study that showed that human empathy goes down in direct proportion to the rise of a person's pride and thinking, you know, I'm a leader, I'm powerful. And so uh, there's a serious problem in ISKCON. I think that most of the GBCs individually, to my knowledge, are nice people. I think they're trying, but something happens when they get together and even simple human courtesy uh, often seems to fail the body. And, and, I mean, I speak from personal experience of um, in just in the last year of, uh, on several very important issues of making important communications to the GVC and not even have the dignity of a response. So if I can't get an answer, I, I can't imagine what happens to other people. But um, Brahmachirtha wanted to say, so, so I think the only, unless, unless there's purity, there's no system which is, which is uncorruptible. There's no system. That's, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't exist. The Romans did everything humanly possible to avoid tyranny, but they got tyranny. You know, after centuries, but there is no system that will protect you. You have to have good people. And uh, good people, Prabhupada said, that means by real Krishna consciousness. Brahmacharya wanted to say something, so if I could let yeah. him. Um, uh, I uh, worked uh, in the state legislature, and I saw this phenomenon where one year they pass a lot of laws because there's abuses. And the next year they try to get rid of the laws because there's too many laws. And it's like breathing in and out. And observing this and working there for a decade, I came to the conclusion there is, uh, systems make a difference. 
We want to have good systems. Prabhupada was certainly concerned about it, but no good system can ever replace good people. And you have to have good people for the system to work. I also just want to go back for a moment to uh, that one-year delay in initiating, just to, because the main topic was the 50th. And that one-year delay, I was a witness to that. And I can say without any doubt, Maharaj was hesitant to do it. And the pressure was enormous. And Prabhupada predicted this. He, he said, be careful of the Gaudiya Moth. Uh, some of them were nice. Some of them were could he, not so nice, even envious. And that um, there was a danger in us too intimately associating with them because uh, the ones who weren't so trustworthy to preserve Prabhupada's movement can be, could be very sly about it. Now, I'm not pointing fingers at any particular name. Uh, but uh, the, the Gaudiya Moth... Some people in the Gaudiya Moth made a concerted effort, and some ISKCON leaders, uh, leading devotees, went along with it. And um, that probably, between Kirtananda jumping the gun, not waiting for the annual meeting to initiate, and then the Gaudiya Moth attack, what, what could be done? I understand that very well. Uh, not when we can't roll back history, what is important is that we study history and we study history from a balanced point of view and understand it because we don't know history as the, we will, as the questioner suggested, make the same mistakes. On the issues of uh, sexual abuse, child abuse, all that, um, uh, ISKCON has actually made uh, uh, great strides, even the Catholic Church has approached ISKCON in certain dioceses, say, how did you guys figure it out? You know, we're the big guys and you are the little guys and you figured it out ahead of us. It, it, it's a very difficult situation and we have to put things in context. For example, when I grew up, I, I was in the Boy Scouts and I never heard of anybody molesting anybody. And later on, I found out that a good friend of mine uh, who my childhood friend I grew up with actually killed himself because he was molested and uh, you know, killed himself later in life. And that's where it came from. And uh, these things just weren't known. And we were very naive about these things, as were the Boy Scouts at church and everyone else. So if we take our awareness in 2021 on the issues and project it back to 1980, why didn't you know these things? That's just not how the world works. Um, so I just wanted to respond to the, I thought, appropriate question uh, your listener asked. Thank you. Thank you both. Now, we are at the, we are past the one hour mark. If uh, you'd like to share anything else or you'd like to conclude this, uh, this, uh, this event, this interview, I'll leave it up to you. Uh, oh, oh, I just want to say, Thank you, Kunteya. What you're doing is, is important and it needs to eventually be converted into scholarly literature. We need to preserve our history. If we don't preserve our history, um, then we're, it weakens our future. Uh, and I'll turn it over to Maharaj. 
A final word of wisdom, Maharaj? <laughs> Hare Krishna is the final word of wisdom. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kuntil. Hare Krishna, Maharaj. Thank you for accepting again our invitation. So to all the um, attendees, to all the viewers, thank you also for your participation and stay tuned. We do have uh, more episodes planned for the future, um, different aspects of ISCON and in particular the governing body commission uh, of ISCON. Uh, this week already two governing body commissioners serving, uh, GBC members serving at the moment already agreed to, to be interviewed soon, so please stay tuned, and Hare Krishna.